I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You can live a long, healthy life if you're HIV positive. With the current treatments, we can get patients down to being undetectable. The array of options is so much greater today. U equals U. Undetectable equals untransmittable. If someone who's HIV positive, they're taking their medication, they're undetectable, they're not able to pass HIV to their partners. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your HIV treatment is their prevention. Get more information at doitforyoumc.org. Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. All right, welcome home then. Sorry guys, my internet blip has missed all the videos and everything else. <laughs> Professional start. Welcome along to the flagship show here at Five Yard Rush again. Uh, I'm back as ever with the, the big man Murph. And we are incredibly pleased to have with us today uh, the founder of Late Round Fantasy, king of the short form podcast. And I believe he's on a magical journey to be a tea connoisseur. And I'm sure we're about to find out a bit more about that. It's JJ Zacharyson. How are you, sir? Are you well? I am great. And yes, I feel like I've come a, a very long way to, to be a, a tea connoisseur. Uh, I mean, Mur- Murph definitely knows my. My history with tea. I feel like now, though, I'm I'm like a, a pseudo, maybe not quite a professional, but I'm I'm getting there. Yeah, because first time you came on, it was literally tea in a microwave. Um, I'm embarrassed. I, yeah, that's fine. We're embarrassed for you, but you know, but uh, it, this is shows growth. You know, you've got growth in your models. You've got growth, growth. You're just growing everywhere, including right. how to make tea. Last time we were on, you bought uh, sort of a kettle that goes on the stove. Is that still the current situation, or have you? upgraded the setup even further so i've got i've got an electric kettle that i use okay uh, which which seems to do the job does it well uh, i'm still still drinking a lot of chamomile tea that's usually my my go-to it's just nice and relaxing just got some uh some lemon and ginger tea that i'm mm-hmm. excited to try later today um so yeah i mean like i i feel like you know i've come a long way from from microwaving tea to to doing it a more proper way yeah. Now, are you a bag in all the way? Like, do you leave the bag in for the flavor, or do you take it out on occasion? Bag in all the way. Yeah. Bag brilliant. is always. Is that is that a bad thing to do? Is that a no, good no, thing? No, no, no. That's the way to do it. Unless okay, it's good. unless it's a regular tea. So obviously, like English breakfast or sure. uh, one of those blends, then you would yeah Earl Grey, and you would take it out and just put a bit of milk in, and that would be you. Um, and always put the milk in last. Never put it in uh, at the bottom. Like that's a major no no. Okay. Okay. Um, that's good to know. So so black teas, if you will, are are, teas are yeah are are better to not let it seep forever. Whereas I'm I'm a big herbal tea guy, so I yeah. I'm always just like letting it sit in there to get all that flavor. Yeah. So fruit teas, herbal teas, uh, all of those bag in all the way, hundred percent. That's how you should do it. But black teas, yeah, you take you take the bag out. Otherwise, it just goes it goes too dark. It just gets too strong. 
Yeah, um, okay. but yeah, you, you nailed it. That's good, man. It's, I feel good. Feel I'm good. So proud. It's it's like watching my firstborn like take the leap out into the future. It's amazing. <laughs> oh, feeling good. But also, this has been a really big year for you already. Um, tell us, you know, for those who have been under a rock and don't know, uh, the big sign in the background should be the clue. But like, uh, tell us, tell us, twenty twenty two, you out on your own and. Tell us what's going on, how everything's going, and and the success of late round fantasy football. Yeah, so uh, back in at the end of January, beginning of February, I decided to leave uh, my job at FanDuel uh, as editor in chief. There, no hard feelings. wasn't like a situation where like we hated each other. It was more so just I've I've wanted to sort of go off on my own and, and do my own thing, and um, you know, control everything that I'm creating and all that. Um, and so you know, I started late round fantasy football. Um, and so far so good. It's been, it's been a blast. I think the the thing that that's been best and most awesome is just everyone is just incredibly, uh, just kind and understanding if something breaks or goes wrong or, uh, because that happens. I mean, it's, it's going to happen. I'm going to get the, I mean, I, I posted rankings to the Patreon page where, uh, Mark Andrews was listed as a wide receiver and just stuff like that, you know, like that's going to happen, but you know, no one is like yelling at me and getting upset or anything like that. They're just like, Hey, why is Mark Andrews a wide receiver? Then I just go fix it up. Um, so things have been really great. I mean, I'm, I feel really, really, really lucky to be able to, to do this and, um, you know, have my own thing like this and, and be able to, uh, speak and talk to people that I love. Uh, and the community that's being built is a lot of fun. There's a discord now, uh, you know, through the Patreon and, uh, sell the rookie guy, the, the prospect guide, um, you know, a couple weeks or a couple months ago, rather. Uh, so that's been, that's been a blast. I mean, it's just been a lot of fun for me to be able to do things content wise that I really wasn't able to do in my last gig. It, it's, it's incredible to see, um, you know, and, and everything you're doing right now is, is amazing. Um, we're going to talk about the rookie guide in, in just a bit, because we're going to give away some copies. Um, so I'm going to purchase some copies Thank to you. support you because you've been so good to us and been Appreciate on the show. And it's a great, it's a great resource. Um, and for someone who bought it, bought it right away, got it. It's amazing just to see. It's great because for those that perhaps aren't math people, you spell it out in a way that you don't need to be a math person to understand mm-hmm. the content in there. And I think that's what's, that's what's great about it is you can pick up the guide if they listen to you in the pod sometimes you know they might be trying to follow along and like sure. i don't get all the math i don't get where everything's coming from but they get the end result and end product here they get the process of where you're connecting the dots without being a math guy which i think is it's a hard skill to to get right but you've definitely nailed it thank you i appreciate that yeah i mean like i i really approach everything i do with the the idea of transparency at the front of my mind you know i, I want people to um, you know, know that I'm not trying to hide anything. I'm not just trying to say like, Hey, just trust me on this. I know that it's going to work or something like that. Uh, I really want people to understand the process behind everything that I do. Um, and the, the prospect guide is a way of allowing people to sort of see what goes on behind the scenes, uh, for me to get sort of the quote answers or, or the things that I, I feel my takes. Um, and you know, hopefully people, it resonates with people. I, I, I hope, you know, as you noted, I do hope that anyone who is really into math or not into math at all can walk away from reading that prospect guide and say, Hey, I learned something new. And and I can testify that they absolutely can. I I'm definitely a math guy and walked away from it better and smarter as a result. But I know a lot of people who, who aren't and perhaps are even just starting out on that process. And I recommend if you're going out there thinking about, and I get asked this question so often, you know, how do you do projections? How do you do, models how do you start to look at data and and understand it and it takes years i mean you talk about it at the start of the guide you know you said from 2012 you wrote late round qb and that Mm -hmm. was kind of your first foray and it took you like five years to get to the point where you were putting together these models and 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 you know for rookies in particular and just say just keep it just keep looking at it you're going to be wrong you're going to make a load of mistakes learn from them but also when people do produce guides or or ways in which they explain it read it and digest it and ask that person questions i know you're really engaging on twitter that you will answer questions on um you know how you've got to that process and and explain it in a bit more detail maybe not giving away the secret sauce but you'll at least explain the concept behind it so 
I think that's the easiest way. I, I, I mentioned you a lot. I mentioned Dwayne McFarlane has got a great article mm-hmm. he wrote, I think, all the way back when he's at Matt Waldman RSP, where he talks about writing projections. Mm-hmm. I think those kind of pieces are that's how I learned. <laughs> is yeah. you just you learn from how others have done it and then you put what you value, what you think is is important, and then start to build it that way. Yeah, I mean, you just build upon what what past ideas have have come forward, right? I mean, like a lot of the stuff, a lot of the metrics that I utilize in the guide or for for my models, I should say, um, are metrics that people at places like Rotoviz have been using for a long time, and I, you know, I've been using them as well. But I get introduced to some of this stuff via other people doing this work. Um, you know, I'm not sitting here saying that I'm the first person to say early declare status matters at wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I do think that the the things that I've combined together for this model in particular is unique and proprietary, but I don't think that the inputs themselves, the individual inputs are proprietary at all. I mean, everyone's us- utilizing uh, a lot of those numbers and, and methods. Mm. So I think it's really, you know, the way that I've always used the model and utilize these models is that it's just a really good baseline for me. It's like a gut check for me. It's to make sure that I'm not straying too far away um, you know, from what's logical. Um, and, and, you know, I, I still have made that mistake even with the models, but, uh, you know, the goal here is to just be as logical um, and methodical and process oriented as possible so that you can win year in and year out. Yeah. And, and what you do such a great job of is the accountability piece. You, you, you mentioned where things didn't go right and you've made tweaks and you've mentioned where, where you've hit and, it's not just a, Hey, look, I hit these guys. Therefore I'm right all the time. You know, you're quick to specify that you do get stuff wrong, that there's always going to be players that will miss in your models. And there's players that you will miss in your models that will just break out. Um, And that's going to happen, but it's about obtaining a better percentage than the public in terms of making sure you get more wins versus losses on ADP value guys and outperforming as frequently as possible. And then that's how you win, right? More often than not, if yep. you've got a better, better, better batting average, then you're going to have more chances to win. Exactly. Exactly. So, and, and that's what I love about it. You do explain it really, really clearly. So as I sort of mentioned, if you don't want to wait, and I wouldn't um, wait for me to, next week, we're going to give away three copies, as I've mentioned, but you can go on to uh, lateround.com. Um, I'm going to post a link directly to where you can buy the guide in the show notes when we put this out tomorrow. Uh, but for those of you live, go on to lateround.com. You can sign up there and you can buy the copy. It's instant download, JJ, I believe. Yeah, it'll go straight to your, your email, whatever email you use, whether it's through PayPal or or you inputted your email, uh, whatever email you, you utilize, it'll go to that email. And so we've talked a lot about the sort of the process, but what is for those of people what is is actually in there what is the actual content piece uh in in the guide the other than just saying you know what who who are what players yeah yeah exactly so i I, you know i wanted to make it differentiated in some way versus what you can get elsewhere because there's a lot of great guides out there but Mm -hmm. a lot of them are are player focused and understandably so i mean the people who put them together do a really really good job and they're also sometimes even like like rookie draft strategy focus and stuff like that you know, I, the, the way that I see it is I, I think transparency, as I noted earlier, I think it's just really important as an analyst. I think that people should understand what analysts are looking at and why they're looking at it. Um, and, and so what I did was, uh, you know, I have a prospect model that looks at running backs and wide receivers that I've sort of built over the last five years or so. Um, and it's been tweaked every, it gets tweaked every single year, just based off of uh, you know, different things that I've learned about uh, different metrics and stuff or different data that becomes available, what have you. Um, so, you know, I've, I've tested this model, both of these models, the running back and wide receiver ones against draft capital itself and against rookie draft ADP. Uh, and it's more predictive than both of those things. It's way more predictive than draft capital. And it's, it's a little bit more predictive than rookie draft ADP. Um, so, which tells you that you are gaining an edge if you were to just look at this model and utilize players and draft players with what the model is saying. Um, but in the guide, you know, I talk about what goes into the models, both of the models, uh, and then I profile every running back and wide receiver that went to the NFL combine. So, uh, you know, there are some guys who were not invited to the combine that you might like, uh, but I had to draw a cutoff somewhere. Um, you know, I couldn't just profile 300 draft eligible players. Um, so I, I, I usually use the combine, uh, as the first baseline for the sample size within the model. And then if someone gets drafted, I also utilize that in the model. So the model sample size goes back to 2006, but I usually 
just date things back to 2011 when talking about it just because it's an easy reference point. Mm-hmm. And within the model, the sample size is every running back and wide receiver who's either gone to the combine or has been drafted since 2011. So you have a fairly large sample size, mm-hmm. or sorry, since 2006. So you have a fairly uh, large sample size with what the model is working against and what the model is then trying to predict is how well these players do across their first three years in the NFL. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you can measure against that. You can look at their best season across their first three. I use what's called best two years, which is just their their top two seasons and points per game and average that out as their best two years number. Um, it's just not that intuitive in terms of just like communicating that idea. So a lot of times I'll uh, just talk about the, a, a player's best season, but I did find that, um, you know, go, like uh, equating this to a player's best two seasons was a little bit more helpful. So that's all the prospect model. And then also in the guide, uh, you can get the year two model, uh, which is basically looking at a player's prospect score and then how he performed as a rookie and utilizing those two inputs, many inputs as a rookie, you're looking at different production metrics and such, but utilizing those two things to come up with a year two score. So what it'll tell you is how we expect a player to perform in points per game in years two and three of their career. So they've already been rookies. You're looking, you know, a guy like Elijah Mitchell, for instance, how should we view him given Mm. the fact that he was a later round rookie pick who did very, very well, you know, there is a signal to the fact that he was not an early round pick. Um, And then what I, what I did with the year two model, which I think was fun uh, was create these things called journey comparables, which essentially looks at, at players and how they entered the league in terms of prospect score and then how they performed in year one. And I compare players that have gone through these similar journeys. So for instance, going back to the Elijah Mitchell uh, example, some of his journey comparables were guys like Zach Stacy, Andre Ellington, James Robinson, these like later round players who didn't look that good in terms of the model entering the league because they were late round picks. They're not going to look good in the model, Um, but then they did very well year one. Uh, And then you can sort of like utilize that and say, you know, maybe this guy has done, maybe a player has done this in the past and maybe I shouldn't be that bullish on them, et cetera, et cetera. So I think there's just a lot of information that you can get from, from the year two model. It's helpful for me. There's a couple guys uh, that I thought jumped out as surprises who looked better in the year two model than I expected. But, um, you know, overall, you get to see the in, the the inner workings of that model and the prospect model, um, and hopefully it'll help you win your, your fantasy leagues. The HIV epidemic is not over. HIV is still here. The face of HIV is so diverse. The biggest thing to reduce HIV stigma is just to talk about it. Testing and PrEP and HIV treatment and how effective it is today. Undetectable equals untransmittable. Whether you're positive or negative, there's not a wrong door. Whether it's testing or whether it's treatment, do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforyoumc.org. It's amazing. And and it's so useful to see that in in print and just give you pause for thought and think about these sort of things and, and get ahead because so many people, you know, too many people think about what they need immediately. They look at their team and they look at it now and thinking, I'm going in the draft. I'm in a super flex league. I only have three QBs. I have to take a QB round one, even if they're not that great, because I need the numbers. There's no one else. And this should give them pause for thought to think, actually, you don't need to draft on need. You draft on value. Think about that second year score. Don't put a bandaid on it. If it's not going to fix it, you might as well just, hemorrhage in the same place you're going to hemorrhage anyway yeah. and try and build up your capital in other ways you've got trade bait you've got abilities to to make points up in other areas and i think that's that's where the, the second year score is going to really really help yeah on that sort of vein because i want to kind of do this for this next bit in sort of two parts for those there are many people that are just sort of getting into dynasty especially here in the in the uk um people in their sort of first year second year third year lockdown 2020 was a huge dynasty boom uh in the uk fair to say i think um but there are people that perhaps are are just looking at and thinking i just need to know who to draft in the first round second round etc but what are some tips that you can give sort of more i don't want to call them junior rookie players but those sort of dynasty players in their first couple of years that you can give them some tips to level up on, on their current process, whether that's just listening to podcasts or um, are just looking at a draft guide and just valuing, say, just draft capital. Well, he's a first-round running back, therefore he's got to be the best running back in the class, etc. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would definitely say consuming information is not a bad thing. I mean, there's definitely going to be analysts who are generally a little bit better than others. But uh, if you can just consume information from analysts who talk about the players and don't necessarily give skewed takes and just say like, oh, you got to get this guy no matter what, but don't give you reasons why. Um, you know, I think that's a good idea. You know, to that point, though, I, I do think that when you listen to non-fantasy draft analysts who do an incredible job with what they do because they're looking at, you know, beyond skill position players and uh, they're even evaluating skill position players really well. Always understand what you're trying to solve. And, and this is the one thing that I'm trying to really get across at least this offseason. I have in the past too, but um, you know, something that I try to get across in the guide when I talked about the things in the guide is that I'm trying to solve fantasy football. I'm not trying to solve real football. And there is a difference there. And I mm. think a, a really good example of that uh, is with like receiving running backs or, or what, how they how they performed in college. You know, if there's a a running back who looks really really good on the ground um, and as a, a good pure runner, that might give a real football draft analyst, a non fantasy draft analyst, that might allow them or force them to give that running back a really good grade, and that's fine because that's their process and their evaluation. But we know that pass catching that that pass catching skill set is incredibly important for fantasy football. I mean, targets are far, far more uh, valuable than, than attempts are in even a standard league, let alone a PPR league. So uh, understand what you're trying to solve here and you're trying to solve fantasy football. Um, and then I'd also say, you know, utilize draft capital, as you mentioned. You know, they're, they're a really good example of this is, um, and to this point, don't let landing spots skew the way that you view a player too, too much. A really good example of this uh, years ago, Samaj P. Ryan, when he came out, he got drafted by Washington and he was a fourth round pick. He was a day three pick and he was a first round rookie draft pick in rookie drafts. And it was only because he landed in Washington where they didn't have any other running backs around there. And so people assume that he would be getting a lot of work, uh, but it didn't happen to that degree because you have to also be good. Like we need good players first and foremost. So and Samaj P. Ryan's fine. He's actually had a pretty long lasting career, but like you know, at the end of the day, you know, he's, he's certainly not a, a workhorse. So um, definitely utilize draft capital and understand that that does matter. You know, don't pick a round four or five player over a guy who went in round one uh, because inherently to draft capital is uh, a, a evaluation the way that an NFL team views a player. Right. And they spend millions and millions of dollars scouting these guys. Um, so, you know, yes, they're wrong plenty and they do stupid things all the time. Uh, and there are some teams that do really stupid things at certain skill positions like LA or, you know, Seattle's done some really weird things at times, you know, like with Rashad Penny, but you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, they, they are decent at, at finding these guys and, and understanding these who, who's good and who's not. So definitely utilize draft capital. And then the last thing that I, I got to shout out, it's just really, really important to understand that you're going to be wrong and, and embrace that variance. You know, there's far too often people go into a draft and they say, you know, I really love this one player. And then that player goes in round six and they stick with that take. Uh, you know, they, they just say, oh no, but I was, I was right about that player. I was right about that player. You're going to be wrong about these guys all the time. And it, honestly, you should feel good if a guy that you really, really liked goes a lot later in the draft because it's saving you, you know, the, the, the heartache of that player just, just naturally not doing well because he was a sixth round pick. So you can say, okay, he was a sixth round pick. I'm not going to get him. Whereas if it's a round two guy who you liked, uh, and then he just flops, you know, that's going to happen, but understand that you're going to be wrong. Embrace that variance. Um, you know, there's ways to, to embrace that uh, versus the market. As I always say, you know, you're, you're going to be facing 11 different league mates for 13 different league mates, however big your league is. Um, and, and you got to just understand that you're going to be wrong plenty. And if you can sort of play the market, understanding that you're going to be wrong, it can really take you a far, a long way. Yeah. Love that. I think it's, it's so true because I've also found I <laughs> I play with people who perhaps when they get to the late rounds are so in love with one or two guys they take the same person in like every draft yeah so you kind of know it's coming which is fine because if that if you love this guy if he hits great if he doesn't it's not a lot of a capital but I also think diversify a little bit um, if you're going to take um, my late round guy this year is Michael Woods for example absolutely love Michael Woods think uh, he's someone who who potentially, if he gets into a decent spot and makes a roster, he could do some things in the NFL. He showed it at the combine, showed how great he can he can catch a ball. I mean, you put a highlight reel of the combine up alone. Um, so, but he's not someone I'll be getting in. I want in every single draft because if he doesn't work out, that's a lot of 
wasted capital, even if you do like the guy. So yeah. I think you got to diversify a little bit if you play in multiple leagues. But for those more seasoned players, you know, you have this model, and I don't want to go sort of too in the weeds with this because want people to buy the guide. But what are some of the sort of metrics that that you look at that are really important when deciding on who who is well for your model will tell you but what are some metrics that people should look out for um to sort of help them either build their own model or just to keep an eye on if they don't have time to build a model before the draft which is probably likely that they can keep an eye on and think okay i i should go and pay attention to these one or two or whatever metrics yeah look i I don't expect 99.9 percent of people to build a model like i I don't think that's a reasonable expectation for people who have normal nine to fives you know um and so i i would say the one thing to keep in mind and this is sort of what i what i try to tell people when i introduce them to this concept of essentially prospecting through data right you're not necessarily like i still watch film i still make sure that these guys look good because i it's important to uh, whenever I'm going on podcasts and stuff, I don't want to sound like an idiot. Um, but but the one thing that I always say is not every productive college player becomes productive in the NFL. I think there's a lot of people out there who say, well, this guy had a lot of production. Why didn't he do anything in the NFL? Well, not every productive college player becomes productive in the NFL, but almost every productive NFL running back or wide receiver was productive in college. There are trends that we can look at to say, okay, this guy was productive. Okay, so the way that I sort of approach things is, Every single player going into the draft process and the prospecting process is a perfect prospect. And then I start to look at all the different things that I can sort of knock for that player. You know, one of the things for wide receivers, for instance, uh, is it, was he an early declare? So did he come out of school early? And that the reason why that gets signal uh, is because, you know, it shows that, that the player was likely talented because he's leaving college early to go to the NFL. Um, and, and if a player had to play a full four years, then there might be some issues there. But you know, production metrics overall do matter. I'd say probably one of the best that you could look at for wide receivers uh, in combination with breakout age, because age adjusted production is very important at wide receiver. It's somewhat important at running back, but it's really important at wide receiver. Um, but, and, and that's essentially just when a player was first very productive in college. That's what breakout age essentially tells you. Um, but, uh, but if you use breakout age alongside uh, yards per team pass attempt, um, which is just telling you how many yards a receiver has through the air uh, divided by the number of pass attempts a team has. Uh, so it's sort of like a market share statistic, which is essentially you know market share being uh, how how big of a pie piece of the pie a player got on his own team. Um, it's essentially telling you that, but it's <clears throat> also sort of like a rate statistic in a way because it's per pass attempt. Um, so if if you look at age adjusted uh, production metrics, especially. Uh, yards per team pass attempt that can go a long way for wide receivers. Um, yards per team pass attempt is really predictive in and of itself. And then if you can combine that with like draft capital, then you're great. You're golden. And you can look at the best season for a player for that. It doesn't have to be like his final year or anything like that. Um, and then at, at running back draft capital matters more at running back than it does at wide receiver. Um, you know, there's more correlation in my model with draft capital uh, for running backs than at wide receiver. Cause it just gets more weight. Um, but I've utilized uh, reception share alongside yards per team play for running backs pretty effectively. You know, a lot of people will say, oh, it doesn't matter if a player, if a running back catches passes at the collegiate level and, and it being predictive for how he catches passes at the NFL mm-hmm. level across a large sample. That's not totally wrong. Uh, but I would argue that a player still needs a baseline to hit. Uh, usually I want a running back to hit like a 10% best season reception share. So he sees 10% of his team's completions. Um, you know, I, I, I do think that there's a baseline that, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter if the guy had like a 27% reception share, which is wouldn't happen, but a 27% reception share versus a 21% reception share, not a big deal. You know, once you get that high, but if a guy has a 3% reception share, you have to ask yourself, why, why is he not catching passes out of the backfield? And, you know, it might just be that the, the offense isn't good or the offense doesn't want to throw the ball, the running backs way. But it also could be the fact that the, the the team is not wanting to utilize that player in more than one way. They just want to use him as a pure runner, as a as an early down back. And that might not tell you that the guy is good or bad at, pass, at, at catching the ball, but it does tell you more than likely that he's not as talented because the team isn't giving him the ball in yeah. every single play that they can give him the ball, that they want to give him the ball. Um, and so... There, there is signal to reception share I found, but it's more of a, a baseline signal than anything else. Um, 
And then when it comes to like the NFL combine and stuff, the only thing that I really worry about is speed score at running back. Uh, you don't want, you know, you don't want a wide receiver to just completely bomb the combine. You don't want a running back to completely bomb the combine, but I would argue that that's going to be reflected in draft capital anyway. So uh, you're sort of double counting. If you say, Oh, this guy was really, really bad at the combine. Oh, he also got, you know, a sixth round capital. Oh, he's going to be terrible no matter what. Well, the sixth round capital is likely because he didn't do very well at the combine in the first place. So wide receivers, I found that that athleticism at the combine does not really matter uh, because generally the guys that we're talking about are not horrific athletes. Uh, you know, the guys that we care about in fantasy football. And then at running back, I just need a speed score of, of 90, which is a, a weight adjusted 40 time. There's a formula that Bill Barnwell created years ago uh, where you just adjust a, a player's 40 time for his weight because obviously a 228 pound running back running a four, three is a lot more impressive than a 170 pound running back doing the same thing. Um, and so I, I really look at speed score of 90 as a baseline in my model. I've seen other people use like 93, 95, something like that. hundred is usually a good mark for a running back, which is why, uh, you know, 90 seems to make sense. It's just a baseline to hit, but there are some guys like even in this class, it didn't hit a 90. Usually you'll, you'll get a handful of them, like, like three to four of them who aren't able to hit that mark. Um, but it is a mark that, that does seem to, to get some signal. To someone like Kyron Williams, for example. That's right. Yep, exactly. Kyron Williams is someone who, you know, again, it's not like I'm saying don't draft Kyron Williams no matter what. I'm just saying that my model looks at Kyron Williams with his 83 speed score and it says he's getting dinged for this. Like this is not a good thing. And there are running backs historically. If you look historically over the last 10 years, there hasn't been a single running back with that, with a, a sub 90 speed score that's been successful in the NFL. And so you know, you're just utilizing all that and you're utilizing probabilities to try to make sounder decisions. Okay. Wow. I've just seen some breaking news. Not really. I've just seen that Denzel Ward has been extended by the Browns. He's got a five-year, $100.5 million contract. Man, they sure are throwing around money. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to see the breakdown of that. I just saw it yeah. come across and I was like, it, I mean, he was a number four overall pick in the draft, but yeah. 100 million for a cornerback. Good I for mean, him. I know it's not not going to get all 100 million. I'm not that sure. silly, but that's yeah, that's wild. Yeah. Um okay. Um just quickly before we go into the players, um or at least some of the players. Helicopter view of this class because it gets dinged quite a lot to use one of your words. Um because there's not there's not really any star quality. Well, there's not much star quality if we compare this to more recent drafts. Um what does your sort of model say in terms of that and also sort of the depth of this class in terms of finding productive players who potentially are going to be... We are all entitled to sexual health, just as much as physical and mental health. We want to make it easier for folks to find resources. However they engage with us, there's no wrong door. So it's important that people are able to get access to care that is affirming. Talking about what their sex life is, about their concerns, and to make sure they're healthy. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your sexual health matters. Visit doitforyoumc.org. The HIV epidemic is not over. HIV is still here. The face of HIV is so diverse. The biggest thing to reduce HIV stigma is just to talk about it. Testing and PrEP and HIV treatment and how effective it is today. Undetectable equals untransmittable. Whether you're positive or negative, there's not a wrong door. Whether it's testing or whether it's treatment, do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforyoumc.org. Good, but maybe not great for fantasy football. Or, or is there a different view? What is, what's your sort of helicopter view of the class as a whole? Yeah, I would say that the wide receiver class is flat and deep. Um, and what I mean by that is uh, I could see five, maybe even six, if one lands in the right spot, wide receivers be the wide receiver one in rankings after the draft. I think that there's a lot of uh, of ways that things could really break down. Um, and, and, you know, my model looks at things the same way, but obviously my model utilizes draft capital. And right now it's just projected draft capital. So I do have a tier of five players right now, five wide receivers who are all first round wide receivers who, who look like they're first round wide receivers. Um, and, and uh, you know, I, I think that those guys could all make a case to be the one one but again, that's the difference between if you're one Oh two, if you're looking at Brees hall, but uh, you know, again, that's, that's, you know, that's five guys that are 
five deep. So if you're looking at the 102 in your draft versus the 106 or 107, there's really not that big of a difference pre-draft right now, I would say, between those two picks. So that could open up an opportunity to trade back uh, and to, to try to gain some value that way. But I will say, this is where embracing variance and being wrong really comes into play because it, it all it, it's all related to the market and what the market thinks and how the market views this. And by the market, I'm saying your league mates, right? If every single one of your league mates understands that this is a flatter class at wide receiver where it's very, very deep, but there's not these like Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith type studs, then all of a sudden, you know, you're not going to gain that value by trading back necessarily because everyone understands that. So if you want to embrace variance, you could potentially say, oh, I'm going to get the 102 and maybe that maybe something crazy happens in the draft. And, uh, you know, a guy like Drake London, let's say, just like somehow Kansas City trades up and they really want him or something like that. And all of a sudden he's with Patrick Mahomes and he becomes the consensus 102 in rookie drafts as a result of that. So things can go down in the NFL draft that can change things. And you shouldn't be shocked if we leave the NFL draft with a very clear cut wide receiver one in this class. Um, And if that's the case, then trading up actually right now, if the rest of your league is thinking a certain way, trading up right now actually might be a contrarian smart move. So it all depends on sort of that, that idea of embracing variance, but it depends on how the rest of your league is sort of viewing these players. That's a wide receiver at running back. I think Brees Hall is the only true stud. Uh, and then you get into, you know, I like Kenneth Walker enough to say he's the RB two, And then you just get into a lot of question marks, but I do think the, this running back class is deep enough to, to give us some fantasy producers. It's just, a, it's just a matter of, you know, where these guys go, what kind of draft capital they get, um, and, and who, um, you know, just looks the best post draft. Absolutely. So let's, let's get into this. Let's start with, with quarterback. We've seen that they're, We've seen some mocks where there's going to be five QBs taken in round one. We've seen some mocks where there's going to be zero QBs taken in round one. I don't think either is going to happen. I think it's going to be two to three potentially, yeah. but we'll know for sure. You know, maybe everyone goes on a crazy run and maybe there is five. Who knows? Um, what is your your model look at for, for QBs in this particular class? Because it has been knocked quite a lot. There's not really a a stud per se there may be a sort of a clear consensus qb1 but behind that there's probably quite a lot of a model i mean what what's your model sort of saying on these qbs and is this a bad year to try and think about taking one reasonably early in a in a one qb and and then where would you sort of sit them in a in a super flex league yeah so i still haven't built a good enough quarterback model to to go out and say, here are the quarterbacks that I love based on the model or same, same with tight end tight end gives, gives me uh, the same issues, but eventually I'll get there where I feel good about what I'm producing and and what the model is saying. But I will say there's certain inputs that you should be looking at uh, with quarterbacks. And I've talked to one guy who who's been very into this is Jim Sonis from number fire. And I talked to Jim on the late round podcast a couple weeks ago Um, and things like age is really important at quarterback. And it's not just age, but but years uh, of being a starter for his collegiate team. Um, you know, Joe Burrow and Mac Jones doing what they did the last couple of years where they came out as these seniors and they really didn't break out until late. You know, Joe Burrow didn't have that great season until his final year. Fortunately, those seasons were so good that it was easy to see why they could be good in the NFL. Um, but, you know, generally we don't see that uh, translate or, do, or or happen very often. Um, and, and that's sort of what we're getting with like a Kenny Pickett where Pickett and, and look, I went to Pitt. I am a Kenny Pickett fan. Mm-hmm. I love him to death, uh, but I have to be realistic whenever I'm analyzing this stuff. And, you know, a guy like Pickett, his numbers were fine, but they weren't like Joe Burrow good. And then at the same time, he was a starter for so many years and he's coming out older. Those are the things that you don't like to see. And he's, he's relatively mobile, but he's not going to give you. Um, you know, he's more Joe Burrow mobile than he is Kyler Murray mobile. Right. Um, and so, you know, he, he won't likely give you that many uh, points on the ground unless, unless they allow the, uh, the fake sliding to, to occur <laughs> at the NFL level. Um, but I think the only guy that I'm really interested in right now at the top of like a super flex draft, is probably Malik Willis uh, just because of what he could potentially do with his legs. Um, you know, I don't think he's going to necessarily make a Lamar Jackson type impact. Um, but I do think that he could be maybe a Jalen Hurts type at the next level. And I've seen people like trying to like flip Jalen Hurts for like a high super flex pick and maybe get Malik. I don't really understand yeah. that because I think that Malik's ceiling or 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 you know maybe like 80th percentile outcome. I shouldn't say ceiling because uh, you know 
player ceilings are crazy, but mm. I think like an 80th percentile outcome for Malik Willis is like basically Jalen hurts right now. Um, so I would probably just stick with Jalen hurts in that case and not try to do something crazy like that. Uh, but I do think that that's sort of the, what, what we're hoping for with a guy like Willis. And then, you know, there's other guys that we might see in, in the mid to late first that could be interesting. Like a Desmond Ritter, I think, um, you know, if, if he, is able to escape the pocket more and do a little bit more with his athleticism at the NFL. We might see some surprise numbers on the ground from him at the NFL mm-hmm. level. Um, but Malik is the only guy that I'm, I, I think is going to really have that, that true QB one potential at the next level. Yeah. So it's, it's a case of if you can get Willis fine, what would be, I, I know sort of where you've kind of got him in the, in the guide where you would feel comfortable sort of taking him, which is sort of, if, if I believe it's like second round, yeah. do you think he's worth reaching for in sort of the tail end of the first round of this, of this rookie draft in a one QB league, or are you, you sort of adamant that it's just not worth that risk at all compared to the, the types of players who you'll be passing on uh, at the tail end of that? Yeah, I don't. And the reason why I say that is because even a guy like Hertz in a single quarterback league is still not going to go in the top 50 of, of startup drafts. You know, it's just it's just not going to happen. And so if that's an 80th, 90th percentile outcome from Malik Willis, then that's the ceiling, right? Uh, is, is an outside the top 50 pick. Whereas if you look at the late first and the wide receivers, you might be able to get there in a single quarterback league. We're talking George Pickens. We're talking Sky Moore. Uh, there's a lot of good wide receivers in particular in that range that you might be able to get. Um, so I would much rather get them have that chance to have like a top legit top 30 asset dynasty asset at wide receiver, not just at the position, but overall, uh, as opposed to going that quarterback route. Okay. And I think that sums up where we are with, with quarterbacks. Let's move on to, to running backs. You mentioned that Brees Hall is effectively the, the one Oh one. And I completely agree. Um, I went as far on a podcast to say that for me, Brees Hall might be one of the best prospects I've seen at running back over the last 10 years. Um, how in your model, where would he kind of need to go in order to be sort of very near the top of your model over the last few years? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. I, I, I looked at, um, you know, I, I love messing around with draft capital in the model because it shifts things. And again, uh, running back is tied to draft capital in, in a decent way. I mean, there's there's a decent correlation. It's not all. It's not. It's not. I'm not, I'm not just taking draft capital and ranking running right. back that way. Um, but y- yes, it does matter. Um, and I did look right now on on uh, NFL mock draft database. He has a, a an overall draft capital of 37. So when I input that. He's in the 96th percentile in my model. Uh, and anything over the 95th percentile at running back has very, very good hit rates. Same thing at wide receiver. Anything over the 95th percentile, very, very good hit rates. If you look at last year, uh, Travis Etienne was like a 97th percentile guy. Uh, Najee Harris was like a 98th percentile guy. Um, and, and you know that's largely because they went in the first round. We're talking about 37th overall capital versus 22nd uh, with like a guy like Najee. Mm-hmm. So... You know, I would say if he goes in the first round, which I think is highly unlikely, but if he does go in the first round, you know, we're looking at him being a 98th ish percentile running back, which again, just last year, Najee Harris showed us why he had that kind of, uh, of, of score in the model. So uh, I think Brees Hall is a stud. Uh, you know, if I look at this, this class overall, I think that Brees is very easily the RB one because there's concerns about literally every other running back. I mean, Kenneth Walker, the guy that I just mentioned, um, you know, I don't mind Walker. You know, I, I've, I've tweeted about Walker a ton and I've talked about him on my podcast, um, but I don't mind Walker. I think he's fine. I think he might be the best pure running uh, running back, pure runner running back in this class. Like he's very, very good on the ground. The problem is he has a 5.4% best season reception share, mm. which, you know, is just not good at all. Uh, and you can sit there and make excuses and say, and maybe I wouldn't even call it excuses. You can sit there and give reasons as to why, Kenneth Walker's reception share is as low as it is. Maybe Michigan State didn't throw the ball to running backs that much. That's what I hear all the time. Uh, but the other thing I will say is that he was at Wake Forest before Michigan State, and he didn't catch passes there either. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only that, but if you look at Kenneth Walker on a yards per route run basis, not very good. I mean, he, he mm-hmm. was not very efficient through the air. It doesn't mean that he cannot catch balls at the NFL level. But if you look at players historically who have gone in the second round, third round, who have not had high reception shares, the hit rate is pretty pretty brutal. I mean, it's just not it's not very good. Uh, I sent a tweet out a, 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 a thread uh, last week or the week before, and I looked at running backs uh, who went after the first round, but in the top 100 over the last 10 years. 
And if you look and compare of guys who had a best season reception share under 8% and over 8%, it's glaring when you look at ceiling. The, the, the floor didn't change that much in terms of first three seasons, max point per game season. So if you take a player's first three years and look at his best season, that's what I'm comparing against. Mm. The, 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 the average max uh, points per game season for guys who had reception shares above 8% versus under 8%, you know, it favored the guys who caught more passes at the NFL level, but it wasn't dramatic. But what was dramatic were the number of players who had 16 plus point per game seasons across their first three years. It didn't happen ever at a, for, for a running back under an 8% best season reception share. And again, this is about probability, right? I'm not sitting here saying that it's impossible for Kenneth Walker to break this mold and be a decent pass catcher and go the route of a uh, Josh Jacobs, let's say like, sure, that can, that can potentially happen, but I'm playing probability. And if yeah. you're drafting Kenneth Walker over these like pretty good wide receivers that are going to go in the first round, I think that's a mistake. I think that's the difference. I have him as my RB two. I think he's the second best running back in this class, but I think that there's, there, there is a major red flag there uh, that gets signal in the model, which is why, you know, Walker, where he's projected to go, he's like a 90th ish percentile running back in the model. Nothing wrong with that, but he's definitely a tier below Brees Hall. Yeah, and he was somebody going into the combine. I remember writing for Fantasy Pros about these rookie running backs, and I was like, to be honest, the combine for Kenneth Walker was probably more important than it was for Spiller or for Brees Hall, because Brees Hall had so much on tape and everything else. He literally had to have had one of the worst combines ever to not be the RB1 in this class, and it wasn't going to happen. Right, But for me... It like Walker's combine saved him big time. Yeah. Because I think if his combine had been, let's say Kyron Williams's <laughs> combine, I think he falls out of, I, I, the, I remember writing at the time thinking, I'm not sure Kenneth Walker is a second round pick. I really am not convinced unless he smashes the comp and he did. Right. So, you know, he did, he's going to be a probably realistically a second round running back and that and that's fine but he really was on the edge there it really did depend on that with someone like spiller who i can understand why he's your rb3 but there's there is flags there but there's less flags i feel for for spiller i feel like he's someone who's going to be dare i say almost like a plodder he's going to put up production it just might not be stellar is that a fair assessment yeah i mean i i think it's fair you know he definitely the one thing i will say about spiller is you know he didn't run at the combine and then he ran in his pro day and it wasn't super good in his 40 mm-hmm. and again i look at that 90 speed score threshold it depends on how you adjust your 40 times at pro days because at pro days generally historically we've seen faster times mm-hmm. get a little home cooking at your at your pro day uh versus how they perform at the combine but what we saw this year at the combine is guys were running a lot faster and i you know, there's theories out there that it's because of the turf that they're running on. It changed in Indianapolis, and maybe that has something to do with it. But regardless, you know, if you do add, uh, if you do adjust rather the pro day numbers and add like 0.05 or 0.07, like d- depending on whatever method you use, he could drop below that 90 speed score threshold, which is a, a big deal. Like it, it does matter. Uh, and so I think that there are concerns about Spiller from an athleticism standpoint because you ideally do want your running backs to still be athletic. Um, and that's why I look at the speed score stuff, but you know, overall, I, I do think that Spiller's profile, like in my model, it does objectively look better than Kenneth Walker's. I'll say that like when I go through and I look at comps in the model, the comps for Isaiah Spiller, you know, Joe Mixon pops up, you know, Todd Gurley pops up. Like it's, it looks better for Spiller than it does Kenneth Walker, where Kenneth Walker's top comp was Trey Mason, uh, who did nothing, you know? And, and he's like a, the way that I see it is his, his best range you know, his high range of outcomes here is that he's likely like a smaller version of Nick Chubb. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what's the problem with Chubb year in and year out? He's not catching passes. He's not mm-hmm. he's not giving you that true full-blown top three running back season consistently um, because he's not catching enough passes. And, you know, I've seen people say with, with Walker, they're like, well, I only need him to be like a Josh Jacobs or a David Montgomery or something. Like, okay, that's fine. I think that's a reasonable thing if you're expecting that. But I don't need, I, I want my running backs to be top five running backs. You know, I, I want them to gain appreciate. I want them to appreciate well, gain value, you know, be in that consideration to be a first round startup pick as opposed to the guys like David Montgomery, who, yeah, 
David Montgomery can have, can have stretches where he's an RB1 uh, and, and he can be effective, don't get me wrong, but Montgomery is consistently sort of like just in no man's land from a startup standpoint where he's never really going to be drafted. A guy like that's never going to be drafted super, super high uh, just because there's limitations there and there's they're, they're relatively replaceable. I mean, that's, that's the one thing too is that if a player doesn't catch passes at the NFL level, they're much easier to replace and that's scary and that, that's something to always keep in mind with these guys. We are all entitled to sexual health, just as much as physical and mental health. We want to make it easier for folks to find resources. However they engage with us, there's no wrong door. So it's important that people are able to get access to care that is affirming. Talking about what their sex life is, about their concerns, and to make sure they're healthy. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your sexual health matters. Visit doitforyoumc.org. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, running back four is a pretty consensus chalky one. Rashad White has upside, could could be someone who who you know can reach a potential ceiling. Um, your RB five, I love. Um, it's someone who probably isn't getting a lot of love right now on podcasts. He's someone who don't hear about too much. But Tyler Algier is is someone who I absolutely think is underrated. I think he's someone who can be very productive at the next level. I think he is landing spot dependent. So, I mean, I know every running back is, but I think he's someone who, if he lands on the right team, I think he's someone who could really have a very reasonable NFL career. What, yeah. why, what makes you like him over over the likes of, uh, say, like Brian Robinson and uh, Tyler Bally and Damon Pierce? Yeah, you know, I, I think at this point, you know, since that, since those went out, since those rankings went out, like there's just a giant, giant tier of those guys. And it's going to be very dependent on what kind of draft capital they get. Because I do think a guy like Zamir White, for instance, he's trending upwards a lot. Uh, I could see him going as the, getting even drafted as the RB3 in this class, like being the third running back off the board. A guy like Brian Robinson, I've been more and more into him, uh, just thinking through the fact that, He'll probably get decent draft capital because the program he's coming from and all that. And, uh, you know, he, he could be an every down back, a true workhorse, a true, uh, you know, three down bell cow. Um, but Tyler Algier is in that same profile. I mean, he, he, he to me, looks like a James Conner type. Mm. Um, and so if he has that draft capital, if, if a team wants to take a chance on him in like the early third or something, which who knows? I mean, I, I do think that of, of all classes that we've seen in recent history, this is one where things can go in a lot of different directions. I mean, even last year, we knew there was a big three, and then there was a huge drop to like Trey Sermon, who was a consensus RB4 for a lot of people. And then there was another drop because Sermon looked like someone, at least from a body size standpoint, who could maybe handle a full workload, and then he got day two capital. This year, we're going to see a decent number of running backs, I think, get day two capital, um, you know, at least a, you know, like three or four at least. Um, and, and because of that, we're going to just see a lot of shifting in rankings and such, but yeah, I mean, I think a guy like Algier, uh, Zamir white, Brian Robinson, they're all sort of in this tier of bigger body backs who could be true workhorses. Yeah. It's, it's going to be fascinating to see how it all shakes out in, in two weeks time or oh, 10 days time. Actually, I think before it starts, let's cover the wide receivers. Cause this is definitely the, the strong point of this class. As you said at the top there's five guys who you kind of have in a flat tier and then you have sort of another tier behind that so probably no prizes for guessing who those who those five are uh but for those who probably you know just maybe getting into this now who, who are those five um and then sort of why are they there and then who are the guys behind who can potentially um I don't want to say threatened, but uh, are going to be ones that you'll be looking at maybe the tail end of, of round one of rookie drafts to keep an eye on, depending on landing spot and, and draft capital. Yeah, I mean, I think we could run into a situation where um, five wide receivers go off the board close to the top 20, top 21, 22. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're going to see a lot of these other wide receiver needy teams in the back half of the first round draft wide receivers and get more wide receivers in the first round then. 
Um, and we're seeing the reason why, you know, if you get a wide receiver in the first round, you have that fifth year option and that could be huge. We're seeing the way wide receiver contracts are working around the NFL. That could be huge. So I think a lot of teams are going to try to take advantage of that. So the way that my model sees things right now, again, I, I mentioned this earlier, but 95th percentile or better is really good at the wide receiver position, really good hit rates. Uh, that's where Garrett Wilson who's at a 98th percentile given projected draft capital, Drake London at 97th and Chris Alave at 96th, uh, are all sitting there above that 95th mark. And then right below them at 94th is Jamison Williams and Traylon Burks. So those are the five that are locked in more than likely as first round picks. Um, you know, you can feel pretty decent about them in fantasy football, but I think at the end of the day, you could, you could really shift any of those guys, uh, depending on where they go in the draft and landing spot, et cetera, uh, to be the wide receiver one, if you really wanted to, you can make a case for them. So that's the five, but anything over the 80th percentile also looks pretty good in my model from a, from a hit rate standpoint. Once you get below that 80th percentile mark, things start to look a little rough. Um, and again, this is all with projected draft capital. So things can change a lot. Uh, but Jahan Dotson is one who's an 88th percentile guy, David Bell, who's dropping a lot, uh, in projected, uh, projected draft capital because his combine was so bad. Uh, he's, he's input as an 85th overall pick, but he's still an 85th percentile wide receiver in the model. So, so he's someone to definitely, definitely keep an eye on according to the model. And again, the model doesn't care about athleticism at wide receiver, so that probably has a big, you know, is a big reason for that. Uh, George Pickens, someone I, I like a good bit, who had really, really good early career, college career production. Sky Moore, who I've been in love with since January, since I started all this, uh, who can play all over the field. Smaller school guy, but he's an early declare from a smaller school, smaller school, which you don't see very often. Wandell Robinson ranks decent in my model, but he's not five, he's five, eight. Um, and so I think more, more, uh, uh, subjectively I'll move him down my rankings. I don't think he's going to get amazing draft capital. And then potentially we would have Chris Christian Watson in this, in this grouping. But I will say my model does not like Christian Watson Uh, again. It has a lot to do with the athleticism piece, smaller school, not an early declare. And his production wasn't that good despite being at a smaller school. So Christian Watson doesn't look that good. He's actually outside the 80th percentile right now with 45th overall projected draft capital. If you were to go in the first round, that would look a lot better. But I think if he goes in the first round, there's going to be other people in my league that just like him more than I do. Mm. Okay. I'm curious on, on David Bell, because that's one who at the moment probably couldn't have had a worse post uh, postseason uh, combine process I mean, it's, it's got to be up there as one of the worst I've ever seen because he's someone who came in who was, you know, talked about second round pick, going to be a very solid player at the NFL level. That his combine happened and he's, and I mean, he didn't have the best uh, process before that, but the combine has really sunk him down. If he goes, say, third, what, what if he's a day three pick? If he's a day three pick, does that take him out of the uh, reckoning of being an 80th percentile player? Yeah, I mean, I can do it right now. Actually, David Bell, I, I should amend what I said earlier. I'm looking at the model right now. He has 70th, 70th overall draft capital. So that is, that is you know, into the third round, but um, it's not the 85th, like I said before. But let's just pretend he goes 120th overall. Uh, then, yeah, he drops out of, the, out of that, below that 80th uh, range. So if he has a day three pick, you know, I'll probably still like him more than the consensus would. But, um, you know, he's someone that would be very, very tough to, like, buy into you know, with a top two round rookie pick, but I will say with David Bell, you know, one of his comps was Devier Posey, which is not a good comp, but one of his comps was Devonte Adams, who <laughs> had very, very, very similar college production uh, and was not athletic either at the combine. Now I do think Devonte Adams is a better athlete than David Bell is, but they both sort of utilize their bodies uh, and contort their bodies in ways, uh, you know, that, to, to create that separation for them. And, and, you know, Adams is a better wide receiver. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say that David Bell is the next Devontae Adams, but it's nice to see that there are some good high range of outcome players as his comps out there. So, you know, it's not just a list of bad player after bad player. So range of outcomes, super big, but I would love it if David Bell just falls and falls and falls in rookie drafts because people are worried about the athleticism uh, just because athleticism is not that big of a deal at wide receiver. Yeah. He's not a player I'm keeping an eye on too too closely. He's not someone I'm enamored with personally, but 
you know, I think that's where fantasy football is so great is you've got all yeah. these different different takes and different views and he's not someone that uh, catches me, whereas someone like Desmond Ritter is someone I can see drafting a lot of because he's someone that appeals to me uh, greatly. They quickly do tight ends, and I know that tight ends are notoriously very difficult to predict. I mean, everyone could have predicted that Carl Pitts is going to be good because of his draft capital and, and everything else he put up, but... In comparison to recent classes, this is, again, not a bad class, not a great class, but it is deep. You kind of have two guys at the top, slight difference, and then there's a bit of a gap down. What what sort of um, are your indicators for these tight ends in terms of where you've got them ranked and, uh, and how you're viewing them right now? Yeah, I would say that of all the positions since I published the prospect guide, tight end has changed the most for me. Um, a lot of that is just because the combine, um, you know, some of the pro days have happened and stuff, and we didn't have all the information at that time. And athleticism does matter at tight end. And so I would say that with tight end, I'm really just matching draft capital with athleticism. I'm seeing uh, where those two things converge um, and, and who has who, who looks the best based on that. <clears throat> And so a guy like Trey McBride, he's going to he's gonna be the tight end one uh, more than likely post-draft. That's not really going to change. But I think there's a, there's, there's a lot of movement that could occur. One guy who I am very high on, who I think uh, could break fantasy, not break fantasy football, but, but be uh, a true stud in fantasy football and, and really rise up and be a good pass catcher is Jelani Woods out of Virginia. Um, right. He's someone, again, I went to Pitt, uh, and I remember watching Pitt this, this season facing Virginia and I was watching with a buddy and I was, I literally made the comment and I was like, why does this, why, why does he look like a man amongst boys on a football field? Like he, he looked like he was someone, he, he looked like he was the father, he was fathering the the corners that he was going up and the linebackers he was going up against. Um, and so Jelani Woods, uh, you know, he's five, he's six foot seven, 252 pounds. And he ran a four, six, one forty. Um, he's got incredible athleticism, really good college production too. Um, so, you know, if he goes, if he ends up going in the top 100, which is possible, um, he'll probably be my tight end too in this class. Um, once, once, uh, the draft is over. So he's the one guy that I'm probably looking at the most because athleticism does really translate a tight end. I've been enjoying the Twitter side by sides of him and DK Metcalf. Yeah. (laughs) And people to be posting all weekend. Uh, yeah, he is stacked. He's someone that is definitely, uh, catching some interest. It'd be interesting to see where he goes. Um, last question on these players. Uh, before I let you go, is right now, and it's hard to say, obviously, we haven't had many rookie drafts. We don't have loads of rookie ADP. Who's the one player you believe is going to get overdrafted based purely on hype and not on metrics or or anything else that you feel is going to come back and really bite people if drafted too high? Yeah, look, you know, I I think a lot of guys have uh, have an, an outcome where they're fine and where they're good in the NFL. Like a lot of these good wide receivers, that's definitely in their range of outcomes. But one player who I think could just go overdrafted because of the athleticism and because people will overstate the athleticism and he's rising in projected draft capital is a guy I mentioned, Christian Watson. Um, He might go in the first round of the NFL draft. And if that happens, he's going to then all of a sudden be in the mix with those other wide receivers. I mentioned like uh, Garrett Wilson, Drake London, Traylon Burks, all the, you know, and, and Chris Olave and Jamison Williams, who I think all of those guys are just better wide receivers than he is. Um, and so if Christian Watson does go in the first, he's going to have an overinflated draft value just because people are going to be grouping him with those other guys. You know, athleticism is why people are going to be in love with him. And sometimes athleticism translates. We've seen that with DK Metcalf. We've seen that with Chase Claypool, uh, who I think is probably a better sort of higher end comp for Christian Watson. Like if we if he really ends up panning out, but he's not an early declare. He's coming from a smaller school, which which why that matters at wide receiver. Um, his production profile is not even that good, despite being at this smaller school. Um, so I just have concerns about Watson. I think the ceiling is there because athleticism can always translate, but I generally shy away from going after these athletic specimens at wide receiver uh, because it's just an overrated thing at the wide receiver position. It does not matter nearly as much as some dynasty managers think. So a guy like Christian Watson, even Alec Pierce, he's another guy who's really, really athletic. He's going to get pushed up because of his athleticism, but his production profile is not very good. Um, and so those two guys are are the, the the prototypical wide receivers that I generally avoid. You're telling me Christian Watson is this year's Kadarius Tony. 
Yeah, I mean, like, like it, it's, the thing. The thing that's weird though is that that it, he's almost like the reverse Kadarius Tony. Yeah, I know. Yeah, right, right. Like, like Tony, Tony just went so late despite being a first round pick. Whereas I, I genuinely think that if Watson, like, I saw Watson get mocked by by Mel Kiper to Green Bay this past week, twenty second <laughs> overall. And if he goes twenty second overall, he's going to be a top. Like, there will be rookie drafts where he goes in like the top three if that happens, and especially if he goes to Green Bay, he could be a the guy right after Brees Hall. And I just, I do, I think that would be a mistake. Yeah. There we go. Um, before I uh, give you a chance to, to plug where everything is, I do want to give people an opportunity to win these three guides that we're going to give away on next week's show. So all you need to do, I'm going to pin this episode. If you're watching it live on the stream on Twitter, I'm going to pin it to the five yard rush uh, Twitter account. Um, all you need to do is just go on to there, follow JJ, follow us. Obviously you should be anyway. Um, and just reply uh, in the comments with the hashtag late round JJ. So then it's easier to search. Um, not saying that JJ would be a late round because he'd be my 101 of draft analyst, but there you go. Um, but use the hashtag late round JJ, and uh, I will do a draw on next week's show, and we will tell you who is going to be winning one of those three guides, and we'll get them out to you. Our show is going to be on Tuesday next week. So uh, tune in next Tuesday and we'll get the guides out to you Tuesday evening. So you'll have them. Um, JJ, it's been a pleasure as always. Please tell everyone where they can find the guide, where they can find your Patreon, your work and and everything else that you do. Yeah, everything's on LateRound.com. You know, there's a newsletter, there's Patreon, there's the guide uh, and there will be a draft guide that will launch in June that I hope people will, will want to check out. Absolutely. Couldn't recommend it more. Uh, do go on there. If you don't want to wait uh, till next week to try and win one, I wouldn't wait. Uh, go buy the guide now and digest it. Get ahead of your league mates. Uh, it's a wonderful piece of content and it is, it's truly brilliant. So do, uh, do make sure you go out and buy it. Um, and if you do miss out, go and buy it anyway. Um, let's support JJ and his endeavors to uh, take over the world and, uh, he needs uh, he needs more tea in his life, right. so you know we need to sell guides so that JJ can get you know keep upgrading his tea game. That's right, that's right. <laughs> but JJ, thanks so much for coming on, Rush Nation. I think you agree this has been a, a world class episode uh, with one of the best to do it. So, uh, take, I hope you took notes. Hope you're listening to this for a second or third time. Uh, we'll tune in as I said. It'll be Tuesday next week. So, looking forward to speaking to you then. But until then, apologies for Dan. Dan had technical issues. His internet kept cutting out all the way through. We were hoping he was going to come back, but he just couldn't get his internet to work. But he sends his apologies. He will be back next week, as will I. Don't forget, as always, keep rushing. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.